That was our subtle way of introducing you to one of our interns. Uh, that's Grant Som. And uh, I met him in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, he opened up an event where these students were protesting against the school district's mask mandates. And the students, not the parents, the students led the parents. And this place was packed with young people and he was one of the frontline guys. And I met him and I just thought, man, this kid's solid. I go, what are you doing this summer? And uh, he's like, uh, I go, you're coming to California. And uh, his parents called and said, what, 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 what's an internship? I go, I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 we're assembling the airplane while it's flying. I have no idea, but he's somebody I wanna work with. And they go, that's great. So I think they want to get rid of him. No, I'm kidding. It, his mom and dad are thrilled, and they're the neatest folks. And then we have another uh, intern, uh, Andrew Fairbanks. And uh, Andrew, uh, uh, let's see, he's, he's up in Oregon, but I met him at the Council for National Policy in Colorado because he was going to the Colorado School of Mines. He's still going there engineering. And um, then I saw him again at the CNP, Council for National Policy, in Southern California, and I had to go... Uh, we had access to a plane, and I had to go pick up Victor Davis Hansen. Uh, Congressman Bob McEwen said, Would you, can you use that plane to go? Said, yeah, sure, as long as I can sit with him. Uh, if you don't know who Victor Davis Hansen is, uh, what planet have you been on? Um, so I said, sure, yeah, we'll fly into Hanford to pick him up. And, um, and then just as I'm getting ready to leave, he says, uh, and we had our pilot, and, he's, and he said, he requires two pilots. And I didn't have two pilots. And you didn't tell me that. So I turned to that young man. I said, put on these aviator glasses. Come with me. <laughs> and he's like, all right. And so he uh, gets in the plane, sits uh, in the co-pilot seat with uh, Dave Sandage, who is our pilot. And um, I said, just look the part. Well, when we landed in Hanford, uh, Dave Sandage turned back. He says, Rob, this kid's sharp. He could land this thing. I'm like, Wow. And I told Victor Davis Hanson, I said, he's just a poser, um, but he can land it if we need to do that. And when I got off the plane, uh, I said, um, uh, sir, good to see you. Um, I, I actually went, he, he used to, he was a professor at emeritus at Fresno State, the Harvard of the San Joaquin Valley. And I went there um, and I said, sir, I took a class from you. And he goes, you were an athlete, weren't you? I go, yes, sir. He goes, not a good student. And he was right and it hurt a little bit, but um, that was my introduction. And that's how I met Andrew. And then I turned to him and I said, what are you doing this summer? And he said, I, I guess I'm gonna come hang out with you guys. And so he, he, they've both been out here and they've been remarkable. Uh, we, we got back late last night from uh, Las Vegas. Uh, we were gambling and drinking and uh, no. <laughs> edit that. I know they're gonna use that. No. Uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, uh, I'm the go-to minister in the family, so I was officiating uh, their son's wedding. And um, we went out there, we got in like, Micah, bless him. I, I told him, go home. We usually close with a song, and I know third service, I'll, I'll do acapella. Uh, <laughs> he got in at 4.30 this morning, and he's, and he's just, the, no sleep. I got in a little earlier, like around 1.30, but I got... I, I made the stupid mistake at 57, almost 58 years of age. I have a great Dane. Uh, his name's Dutch. He's beautiful. And we wanted to breed him. So I bought a female puppy. That's exhausting. <laughs> this puppy processes food like a Japanese bullet train. And it's like every two hours. So I haven't slept in a couple days. And I came home and I was with the puppy all night. So <laughs> it was really fun. And... Uh, I'm just happy to see all you. 
and then I'm going to go take a nap. But I, I, it was a great trip, and, um, and yet I have to just confide in you because we're going to be taking a look at the uh, book of Jeremiah. And it's been in our anchored reading series. Um, we're going through the book of Acts, and Pastor Rick taught Acts last night. And if you need a Bible, these folks will give you one. You're going to need it. Don't open up, though, your Bible to Jeremiah. You're going to be in Deuteronomy 6. We're going to begin with that, Deuteronomy 6. Just raise your hand. They'll give you a Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And um, I, I, just, I was going through the anchored reading series. And this week, um, the reading was Jeremiah. And I just have to tell you, I've, I've talked through Jeremiah two or three times in, the, in its entirety. I've taught all 66 books of the Bible, but Jeremiah is the hardest book to teach through for me because it is so depressing. I mean, you, you need medication to go through. Are you kidding? I'm joking. But um, it begins great. You know, before you were born, I knew you. You've been knitted, fearfully, wonderfully made, knitted together in your mother's womb. You know, I have called you from the womb and preordained. And just, wow. And, and you're going to tear down and then build up and you're going to plow and plant and ooh. And then you get to chapter two, you're like, huh. And then it just keeps going. And, and, it's, and it's just judgment on Israel, Judah, bam, 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 bam. And you're looking at it and you're thinking, well, this poor guy was born to do this and deal with the most stubborn, stiff-necked, unrepentant people. And they called him the weeping prophet because he, he cried for circumstances. He cried for the people he loved that wouldn't you know, repent. He, he cried. He was under threat. They, they, you know, the, the priest wanted to kill him. He was under threat of you know, death threats. I mean, he was living in 2022, um, basically. Yeah, I thought that would work better. Um, but but I, I, was, I was reading through chapters 8 and 15, and I have to tell you, I, I, I hit a stage in the last few weeks of burnout. Like, I'm just, I'm, you know, just, Lord... I want, I want to always represent you, and I know you're God of hope, and, and I know that you know the beginning from the end and all points in between, and that we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, but Lord, you, you got to help me here, because I'm, I'm growing weary, and of all places, he encouraged me through Jeremiah, the book I can't stand. Seriously, and you're, you're thinking, why? Did you take Xanax or something? No, I, I, you're not laughing. I thought that was funny too. It's just really, <laughs> third service, I usually give you guys credit, but you're slow today. You did, did, didn't get your brunch or something. Or maybe I'm just not funny and I'm very tired. But, but Jeremiah really ministered to me. And, and, I, and as I started to take a look at it and, and put the pieces together, I, I'm, I found myself so thankful for all of you. You know, uh, Noah preached for 100 years, a preacher of righteousness. He never had a convert, save but his family. They're the only ones who got on the ark. No one else came. Jeremiah preached. We don't know that he really had any converts. But I, I realized that God had chosen him and ordained him for a season where he would, he would try to call the nation to repentance. And I realized Every Sunday I step into this, behind this wooden stand, I'm, I'm in a room with what I consider heroes and heroines. That just, you, you all are doing the work of Jeremiah every day. 
I, I ran into Josh Zavala, and he started the, the pushback with the firefighters. I, I, I saw one of the doctors at front line, and, I, I, and, I, and the first service was um, Dr. Judy. And I'm, I'm looking at folks that are just, you're standing in defiance to tyranny, and you're doing it with bravery. You're all scared, but, but you, you still move forward. And, and I, I just realized every time I come here, I'm encouraged. And I, I started thanking the Lord that Jeremiah was all alone. I'm no Jeremiah by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm in a room with Jeremiah's. You, you all, like I've told you, you're, you're anti-fragile. You, you don't break. You just get stronger with every issue. I'm looking at Steve back there. He's getting stronger. And everything we face, we just get stronger. And so um, the, the, the passage ministered to me, I pray it does to you as well. And then the last part is this before we stand. I'm the family minister, so they call on me. And my brother-in-law, I've done three weddings uh, for two sons and a daughter. And and the first uh, wedding I did was for his oldest son, and there was conditions. (laughs) I don't do weddings really anymore because I don't have a lot of time, and it's family, and I didn't want to destroy the family. So so the the first condition was um, he's he's engaged to a a, a Mormon. Um, Can you work through that? I'm like, really? Okay, just figure that out. Let Christology and everything and just get him to, well, yeah, I, I, all right, you know. And, and we opened up the door and some great things accomplished and really came to an understanding of, of Christ and de- defining all that. It was precious. And I, I just, she's a sweet, sweet gal. And he's done well. So I officiated that wedding. And then the next one was for his daughter who was marrying a Greek Orthodox guy. And they wanted to do two services, one in the Greek Orthodox Church, one in, with me. And uh, I had to be second because that was preeminent. And then they didn't like the Greek Orthodox. They wanted me to contend with it. I'm like, dude, I'm, this is getting like, you don't even pay me, all right? It's just like, <laughs> you got a doctor and you, you want to sue me for liability. It's uh, fair. And then this one was the toughest. Uh, and, and I love his youngest son. Um, I go to pray with him. His name's, uh, well, I won't say, but I, I go to pray with him. And the groomsman is getting ready to get married. And I pray with him. And as soon as I finish praying, which I always do with the groomsman, as I finish praying, he goes, um, Uncle Rob, my, my fiance doesn't want any prayer in the service. Hmm. I said, you know, that's like your dad. And, and his dad is a, the largest custom home builder in Las Vegas. He did Celine Dion's house, Janet Jackson. I said, that's like your dad pouring a foundation, someone asking him to move it. This is foundational for me. And you're telling me before the wedding, I, I, I'm struggling with this one, buddy. I really am. And, and the reason why I'm even considering it is because she's come so far. You see, the two of them had a child out of wedlock. And, and they, they fought like cats and dogs and were separated from each other. And there was contention for custody of the child. And both families were at war. And, and then my sister-in-law loves the Lord and through patience and perseverance, just started ministering to the young lady and they've come around and I'm watching them and she's starting to come to church with them and she's not sure about it all, but she's coming. And I thought, all right, I went alone and got alone with the Lord. And I said, okay, God, what, what, all things are permissible. Not all things are profitable. I'm here to represent you. I'll do whatever you say. And the Lord shows me what to do and, and still to honor the request. I said, okay, Lord. So I get down to the wedding venue and the photographer comes up because the bride's late. It's on a golf course. 
He comes up and he goes, um, how long is your message gonna be? I'm like, hour and a half, why? And he goes, no, serious. I go, I am, no, I'm kidding. I, I go, I, why are you asking? He goes, well, because the, we're gonna miss the sunset and the photos are gonna be terrible. I go, well, how much time do I have? He goes, ideally? I go, yeah. He goes, 10 minutes. I'm like, well, I won't be praying, so that'll make it faster. And the Lord gave me just the word. And it was the shortest wedding I've ever done in all my life. But it, but it ministered, and I had a chance to minister to folks at the end in the reception. And then at the end, I said, by the power vested in me by the Lord Jesus Christ, but not by the state of Nevada, because they don't recognize my ordination in Nevada, so they had to pay some guy to sign it. And I said, but who cares? Because marriage isn't man's idea, it's God's idea. It's his sacrament, it's his, it's his blessing. And I just thought, the nation has walked away from the Lord and government has become our God. We worship at the altar, we place our children there. And we're in a lot of trouble right now. I'm seeing things I've never seen in all my life. And as I was lamenting all this, Jeremiah ministered to my heart and I pray it does yours as well. But we're gonna set the stage by showing what God always intended in Deuteronomy 6. And I'm gonna read it out loud if you'll follow along silently. Typically, I like to have us read together, but it's too long and we'll get all lost in it. So if you'd stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We stand for the word of the Lord, we sit for the word of the teacher, one we honor, the other we tolerate. Deuteronomy 6, I'll read out loud. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. And this is called the Shema. Uh, Jews memorize this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall uh, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build and houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out cisterns or wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, slavery, bondage, from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you, for the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> That's heavy, huh? kind of puts it into place, if and then. If you do this, then I'll do this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind also. 
And the idea is, I will give you things you didn't build. I'll give you cisterns you didn't dig, cities you didn't build. I will bless you. But don't fall in love with those things as you flourish and forget God. And that's what we've done as a nation. And we're going to see what happens to a nation when we don't apply Deuteronomy 6. Let me pray. Lord, I do ask for great encouragement for all who are present, and I thank you for this third service. I thank you for the blessing it is to all of us, and I thank you, Lord, for the servants' hearts to free up seats and to come. And Lord, I thank you week in and week out, just the blessing that all the staff members describe that they find in third service. Lord, I I pray that all the the hearing of my voice would be blessed today as you, Lord, would take your living word and, and cause us to come alive to it, that you would bring encouragement, that you would bring hope, that you would bring joy and remove any despair, any discouragement. I pray that you would bless all who are present. Lord, thank you for your word, which only your word can do that. And, and how you do that, even in the book of Jeremiah, is beyond my comprehension and ability to fully grasp. But you are an amazing God. And Lord, we love you and we thank you. Bless us now, we pray, according to the riches of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, go ahead and have a seat, if you would. The commandment in Deuteronomy 6... These are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, to keep all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, your teacher son and your grandson, that the days of your life, your days may be prolonged. And the idea is that you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. I command you today, you shall teach them diligently. And and Deuteronomy is part of the Pentateuch, the first five books. The Lord establishes this from the time that Moses was on Mount Sinai and he was given the moral law, the Decalogue. And the instruction was, teach your children. And we'd be hard-pressed in this room to find maybe 10, 15 people who could recite the Ten Commandments from memory. And that's not a dig on all of us. I grew up learning it. Many of you didn't. Certainly, your children don't know it. It's not something we instruct in schools. It used to be that you would learn that. Why is the moral law so important? Because from the moral law comes civil law. And the realization is, God makes the rules. We're accountable to him. When man makes the rules, he enslaves us. God says his statutes and his commandments are not burdensome. They set you free. Man seeks to enslave How do we know this? Because God says, do you remember when you were in Egypt? I set you free. I value the human heart, the human soul. You've been created in my image regardless of your melanin content. You're my children. You've been born, endowed by me, your creator, with these inalienable rights. Life and liberty and the pursuit of that highest virtue, happiness, it's not a feeling. It's what Aristotle said is the highest good because you're attaining that for which God created you to do. It's not so that you can go out and buy more things, so that you can honor God in greater ways. And you live in such a way that you're fearless and no longer afraid. And that's that's what God commands of his children. You're, You're going into a land that's occupied, but I'm gonna give it to you. 
I'm going to go before you. They're going to be like locusts, but I'll take care of it. Trust me. Your only job is to live your life in accordance with the precepts. Every decision, every law that you establish for the community in which you dwell, make sure it flows from the moral law. I will give you civil law in the Pentateuch, but the moral law is going to be the foundation of it because with that, that will be the wise restraints that will make you free, applying restraints towards those things that enslave you in order for you to pursue the excellence. And what's amazing about America is our founders understood that. They gave us that freedom that no government would stand between man and God. And those those 16 words of the very first of the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment, those 16 words, tortured as they are, were fascinating because they created the most powerful branch of the three branches of government and the only one that the sovereign, we the people, could elect, the legislature. They carried the purse strings. They had great power, but they were accountable to us, the people, we the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union. We would elect the Congress. The Congress would appoint the senators. The Electoral College would elect the president, and the president would appoint the judiciary. That's how it works. We controlled the lower house, the legislature, the purse strings. And the eloquence of our birth certificate, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary. The preamble, the Constitution, we the people of the United States in order to form a perfect union, beautiful documents. But then they give us the Bill of Rights and the very first amendment, 16 words, prohibitive and angry. And they say to that powerful branch of government, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Don't you dare get in the way of man and God. Stay out of it. Well, Hugo Black, Chief Justice, managed to upturn 150 years of precedent made it not freedom of religion, but freedom from religion. And now we're reaping what we've sown. We've no longer pray in schools. We've removed the Ten Commandments from the edifices of our buildings. We're now in a, a fight for secularism, embracing it. Secularism's a new religion. And now the identity and the truth of what God declares is fading, and the culture's confused. Our children are separated from us by a history and they, they, don't, they don't believe in absolutes. And I was on a radio program with a millennial and her grandfather when I was back in Mount Pleasant, Iowa. He owns a radio station. He wanted me to come and speak some sense to his granddaughter. A 30-minute radio program ended up being an hour and a half. He's like, keep going. I own the station. <laughs> and it began with her saying, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe the Bible to be, like, literally true. I mean, allegory. I mean, come on, Noah. I'm like, time out, time out, time out. We only got a half hour. Katie, we can unpack that, but I'm just going to tell you right now, your generation doesn't believe in absolute truth. You, you, you struggle with absolutes. You think truth is subjective. She goes, yeah, yeah, I do. You're right. Yeah, you understand my generation. I go, so you don't believe in absolutes? No. You believe that absolutely? <laughs> and I'm looking at the grandfather going, hmm, this is going to go wild like this a lot. <laughs> and, and we had some fun with it. And, and I, she said, you know, our founders were slaveholders. I said, they were. They were. You know, there were, there were 27 grievances that we wrote to King George. There were supposed to be 28. But Georgia and North Carolina pulled one out that, well, the author of it wrote. Thomas Jefferson. 
declaring that they had forced slavery on the colonies by taking these people from their homeland and inserting them against their will to be enslaved in servitude. He wanted it removed. He was a slaveholder, but he wanted it removed. North Carolina and Georgia, both slave states, contended they knew they were going to go up against Great Britain. They had to be unified. So they pulled it out. But Thomas Jefferson still made it a point to put in that birth certificate, all men are created equal. We're going to get to that and we're going to cash that check. And they put a sunset clause on slavery. And you'd have others that would come and fight to try to overturn it. And they'd be successful with Andrew Jackson's administration, which would result in, instead of like, well, with, with Great Britain, with William Wilberforce ending slavery in the British Empire 35 years before America did, through the legislative process, Americans didn't do that. We, uh, we got railroaded. My people usurping authority that wasn't theirs and enforcing slavery upon the nation. The Dred Scott decision was vile. And as a result, 650,000 soldiers died on a field of battle to end slavery in this nation. And I told Katie, I said, Katie, America's faults are universal, but America's successes are unique. You're judging their generation, but that slavery was embraced and they walked away from it. How are you doing with abortion? Well, I mean, Uvalde, Texas, why are we so about abortion when we're watching children killed in school? They go, you're conflating two different issues. Don't try to skirt it. I said, did you put up a black tile? Yeah, yeah, I, I black lives matter. They do. Why'd you put up a black tile then? They're supported by Planned Parenthood. I went through the whole, you've heard me. I said, Katie, the number one killer of, of black Americans, combine all other deaths, all other deaths combined, don't equal the number one killer, which is abortion. Five times more than white families. Black women, 4% of America's population, represent 40% of the abortions, almost. It's a holocaust in the black community. Where do you get those numbers? Um, I read. <laughs> she goes, well, those quotes about Margaret Sanger. I mean, where, oh, I'm sorry. That's from her autobiography. <laughs> She's like, wow. I go, Katie, if you don't believe in anything, you're a sucker to everything. God sets the rules. You may not like them. And we want to define Jesus to be our own little God and put him on a mantle. And, and passages like Deuteronomy 6 we just read, they're not fun. They're not fun. Jeremiah's not fun. But it's real. We are in the midst of a God who once blessed this nation that represents 4% of the world's population, but it's more responsible for more patents, Nobel Peace Prize winners, more symphonies, more accumulation of wealth than any nation in the history of the world. We were given freedom. Freedom of our relationship with God that no government would get in the way or intrude we flourished. Churches were critical. She says, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in tax-exempt status for churches. I said, okay, that's fine, but do you know why they do it? Why? But she goes, because so many churches abuse it. I said, I know they do. Yeah, there's many that do. I said, so you want the government to have more money because they don't abuse it, do they? And I walked her through a first party, second party, third party purchase. It was just a, lot, a lot of fun. And the grandpa is usually like talkative, like, keep going, keep going. This is great. This is great. But I realized we're disconnected from that generation. I'm looking at some of the younger folks out here. 
you're here maybe because your parents brought you, maybe because you, you really are awakening to, and you're seeing what's happening to your generation and how they're destroying your school, your friendships, your health, everything. The prospect of college just seems like, I mean, if you're, if you're a female athlete, I, I, I'm so sorry. I'm wondering where the feminists are because men now dominate women's sports. They can't even, the secular progressive professors can't answer this question, what is a woman? Well, a woman is a woman. Yeah, what is that? What is a woman? Tell me what a woman is. I feel like you're really pushing this. I mean, I, I, you're threatening my space. Yeah, truth probably bothers you. Well, that's your truth. No, no, there's, 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 I don't, that's, that's what you've been fed. And now they've used it against you. And so men now dominate women's sports. You say, no, they don't. Yeah, they do. I'll show you in a minute. So what is a woman? XY chromosome, able to give birth. A woman is a, a adult female, two genders. Well, you're mixing up gender with sex. No, Katie, I'm not. You are. There's genders and there's confusion. But, but then, then I'm a bigot, I'm a bigot. And I say, you know, seven years after they have transition surgery is when the lion's share of them commit suicide. And we're gonna thrust that with hormone blockers upon children? That's, that's abusive. And we're teaching them this. And we wonder with Deuteronomy 6, what, what in the world? And Jeremiah, his nation was in that same spot. They were worshiping Baal. Baal was a God that they would heat their, the hands up to a molten level till they were red hot. They'd take their child and they'd place it in the hands of Baal. Sacrifice their child for the sake of financial prosperity. You don't believe me, go read your own stuff. I, I'm just telling you how history works. You go, well, we don't do that. Oh, okay. And, and this idea of worshiping different gods, we don't do that. Okay. The Greeks just simply took things that possessed them, like alcohol, and they deified them. The Romans did the same thing. I, I'm, I'm not an alcoholic. I worship Bacchus, the god of alcohol. I'm a worshiper. And I'm not as think as you drunk I am. I, I, I'm not into pornography. I just worship Aphrodite. So you just make it a God or a God, a small G. But we don't worship at that altar. America is where Israel was. And that's why they called Jeremiah, interestingly enough, the weeping prophet. He opens by being called from the Lord from the womb. It's a profound calling. Then he gets to chapter two. And God says, I want to tell you why I'm judging the apple of my eye. He loves Israel. I want to tell you why judgment's coming upon her. And he says this to Jeremiah in verse 13 of chapter 2. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, wells, broken cisterns that hold no water. You know when a cistern doesn't hold water or food and it leaks, 
they turn it into a prison. That's where they put Joseph. He says, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And Jesus would refer to that to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And she would repent and give her life to the Lord and declare his mercies and his goodness. And he would say, the, when you drink from this well, you'll never thirst again. She says, I want this water. And she says, I am that living water. But it comes with a responsibility. The law doesn't save you, but it preserves society. But Christ saves. And we observe the law not to be saved, but because we are saved for the sake of our neighbors. Because the law, Galatians 3, is a school teacher that points us to Christ until faith comes. So the moral law is critical in a society. And when we abandon it, we have problems. And we wonder who we are. And we're separated from our children. And morality no longer matters. And we, we, we think lying is okay. Truth doesn't matter. Stealing is okay. Adultery. We've abandoned the Lord. And now we think government makes the laws. And now we find ourselves enslaved. And they're taking more and more. And Jeremiah is contending with the Lord over this judgment. He says he loves his people. He loves his nation. He's saying, God, please. You know, you, you, this is the apple of your eye. And you can see the chapters, you know, two through eight. He, he's just pouring out, God, help. Please, understand, he's advocating on behalf of his countrymen. Like, I love America. I'm, I'm advocating. God, save America. God, bless us. Please, help us. And then the Lord takes time to explain to him why judgment is coming. And Jeremiah's undone. He realizes he doesn't have a case. God says in Jeremiah 9, verse 7, Therefore, says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will refine them and try them. I'm going to test them. Refiner's fire. I'll explain it momentarily. For how shall I deal with the daughter of my people? Their tongue is an arrow shot out. It speaks deceit. One speaks peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in his heart he lies in wait. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? They lie to one another. The refiners, it says here, I will refine them. The refiner's fire, he's referring to what he had said earlier, refiner's fire. We even sing the song, refiner's fire, my heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you. You know what that is? You take slag, you take ore, you put it in a cauldron, you boil it, heat it up. The slag floats to the surface, you skim off the slag until the master can see his reflection in the metal he knows it's pure. That's a refiner's fire. Lots of heat and pressure. Uh, oh, oh, I want that. I want that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And that's what we're under right now. And the Lord wants us to, to come to him. He's using this to draw us back to him. I'm going to try them. I'm going to test them. I, I knew, it, it didn't catch him by surprise that you were born in this season. You're the only DNA and the only you that will ever be. And God equipped you for this season. You have two options. Honor him or don't. One, you'll flourish. The other, you'll implode. And God points out that the struggle is people no longer value truth. We allow our children to be indoctrinated and lied to. Your parents, they made a mistake when they identified your gender when you were born. Boy had a little unit. He's no, he saw it. Ultrasound. Yes. Well, that's his gender, not his sex. I always get that mixed up. However, they try to convolute it. It's like it's unreal. 
And they, they, you're a bigot if you don't embrace the, the confusion. And we allow our children to be put before that. And, it, and it's in every level of society in the critical race theory, it's in every institution in America, including the schools that our young people are going to. And they have to deal with this when they go to college. You, you, you have to, you're not learning. You're being indoctrinated. And they know it. And they're like, why is anyone doing anything about this? Grant, the kid, the, the kid who's with us interning, he's the one who started the, the revolt against the mass mandates. And when the parents... And this has, this has infiltrated every sector of our, of our society. And God basically, when he said, he explained one reason why Judah was a certain target of his judgment. The ingrained and institutionalized deception among the leaders and the people of Judah invited his strong correction. They had, they had implemented the deceit in every sector. Our, the, the medical world is completely complicit. Big Pharma has dominated. They own the agenda. They own the news. They... We're, we're censored. This, this message will not be on YouTube. I can guarantee you it'll be taken off. I, I already know this. We're going to be put in YouTube jail. Why do you censor? Truth isn't afraid of a lie, but a lie can't survive in the presence of truth. They have to censor. But we have the freedom of speech. Well, that was before Hugo Black. Such a nation as this. When God commented in Jeremiah 9, he used the term such a nation as this. And in the Hebrew, it's fascinating. The use of the term goy for Israel may represent the transfer to Israel of a term which was regularly used of non-Israelite peoples. Its use here suggests that Jeremiah had come to regard people as no different in their behavior from the goyim, the people outside the covenant. You're living like none of this matters. Truth doesn't matter. Truth is relative. Our children, are, we're not stewards of them. The state has the control. And what am, who am I to make a difference? I'm just one person. And God looks, and, and I was talking to a, a, a brother. Um, he's present, actually. He'll be here all three services. He's facing some serious jail time for doing what's right. And he probably doesn't have many friends. Because when you're going through the refiner's fire, nobody wants to get burned. They want to distance themselves. They're, they're, they're silently rooting for you, but they don't want to be in the bubbling cauldron. Because they'll be associated with you when evil rises, which you fear more than God. And I say you, I'm just talking generically. But I told him, he went through some massive depression because look, when you're going through stuff like that, you're scared. We're all scared. And we were talking this week, and I go, look, I, I get it. I, I, I get it. You've embraced fear. You've been in combat. You, you know what scared is. You've, you've killed people. You've been shot at. You've been wounded. You've got concussion issues, too, which is messing with your brain. I said, but listen, you're the bravest man I know because you're the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was whipped four, three to four times of the cat of nine tails 40 times. Glass shards, flat leather, dipped in water, pulled his flesh. I mean, you don't live, you don't survive. He got that four times, maybe three. He was stoned. They tie your hands behind your back on a post and your head, and they just, you get to throw a rock right at the person's face. They left him for dead. He was so brutally beaten, and he recovered. He just crawls back into the town. What, what are we doing now? 
Everywhere he went, it was, it, it was, it was a prison cell. And there was either a riot or a revival. And, and, and he wrote this, and I told my friend, I said, the Apostle Paul said, if there be no resurrection, I'd be of all men most pitied. Because I, I put it all on the line. And I said, that's where you are. And when you're all in, it scares people. Because it challenges them. And, and they, they know that they secretly want to be like you. But each one is given a measure of faith. And truth is ridiculed, then violently opposed, and then it will be considered self-evident. You're the first penguin off the iceberg, and it's a lonely walk, just like Jeremiah. Paul's was too. But it's, it's going to be what's necessary to call a nation back to the Lord. You stand for truth no matter what it costs you. Every one of you knows what you can do. You know the lie that you've embraced in order to protect your hide. And God says... If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways of deceit, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. You say, well, this nation's not as bad as Israel was, really. That's, that's our representatives at the French embassy in the ambassador's residence. It's a surgeon general in a dress as a man. Transitioning female to man, I don't get, I don't even know what it is. I don't know where we are. But on the right there. And you say, well, okay. Why are you so bigoted? Because that's not right. That's just odd. <laughs> but that's a woman. Okay, what is a woman? Well, a woman is a woman. No, no, no. What is a woman? Define that. Because they're taking her identity. They're stealing her femininity. And you're not telling me, you've stolen the definition of who she is. And now you've taken their sports, you've taken their positions. And you, you call this logical? You're the bigot. Look what you've done to women. But no, that's a woman. That, that woman can't give birth. Oh, yes, they can. No, they can't incarcerate them in a prison. And this is what happens. Incarcerated transgender woman, Demi Minor, impregnates two inmates at New Jersey prison. How did that happen? It's baffling to me. It's a women's prison. She transitioned. She's a woman. Your kids get it. God gets it. It's just... And even the transgender folks that have transitioned are pleading with you. Don't do this to your children. Hormone blockers are vile. You're, you're, you're suppressing them. One guy was saying, I was in my 40s when I transitioned, and you go through the depression seven years after the transition, and they own your kids if you're gonna allow them to do this at this age. And, and the feminists, they're stealing women's sports. No, they aren't. Yes, they are. Look at that. Trans woman Thomas nominated for NC to a Woman of the Year Award. That's a man. I wish I had done what he did. I swam the same events he did. And I was just about as good as he was. I could have been an NC to a champion. That's, I'm joking, by the way. The other part's true, but I didn't want to transition. I, you know why he transitioned? Because he couldn't win in the men's side. 
if he's confused, that's fine. Just do a transgender group. And you're going to find out real quick who are male and female. Uh, Victor Marks, his dog, uh, Belgian Malwa, uh, a man wanting to be a woman, comes up to pet the dog. He goes, he, he doesn't do well with men. He goes, what makes you think I'm a man? We could go ahead and pet it. But you say child sacrifice. We don't do that like, like um, well, we've already gone through abortion. We've, we've overturned Roe v. Wade. This, uh, this is still the abortion destination. But child sacrifice, I mean, the FDA approved remdesivir based on a trial in which three out of 53 children died. The trial was conducted by Gilead, the developer of remdesivir. And there was no control group. The mortality rate of children with no treatment against COVID is uh, 0.005%, one in 20,000 die. Based on this trial, the mortality rate of children with remdesivir treatment is 5.66, one in 17 or almost 18 die. And I was reading this, Dr. Merrill Nass, over 70% had an adverse reaction, 21% had serious adverse events, three of the children died because there was no control group. It's unclear how either Gilead or the FDA determined that the drug benefited children because there's nothing to compare it to. It's just rubber stamped and the government is now out of control and our children are being sacrificed for the sake of, I don't know what. And, and why are they pushing for our kids to be poked? I don't know. Yeah. And 500% and increase in athletes, 25 and under, professional athletes dying in Europe. 500% increase over the deaths of last year, which is the highest on record. And they're dying of heart attacks. Because that happens all the time with athletes. All the time. You didn't get the hyperbole. Sarcasm, maybe. Then you have the environmental, social, and governance, which is the ESG scores, which is now what they're pushing our nations to embrace. And this is a World Economic Forum, World Health Organization. And I, I'm, I'm done with you saying it doesn't exist because you just don't read. Uh, this is very real. Matter of fact, the, the three nations that have the highest scores are in the 90s. They have reduced their carbon emissions. They've embraced it. They've, they've gotten rid of their nitrogen stuff and everything. They flatulent cows. They're, they're saving the planet. They're just, they're doing a wonder. And, and let's see how these three nations that have the highest score over 90 on the ESG are doing. Uh, let's see, Sri Lanka. Well, their government just collapsed. It was a very wealthy and successful nation. And they took away all the farmers' nitrogen, cut their farms in half. The people are starving. Ghana, National Power Supply just had a shutdown. And the Netherlands, wow, where farmers have revolted against the state. I don't know if you saw it, but there is worldwide revolting going on right now. One of the things that really <laughs> encouraged me is Canadians are the most peaceful, sweetest people on the planet. When you see them descending on their capital, you're like, whoa. Oh, sure, it's okay. How do you do? You know, it's like Canadians, they don't do that. They're doing that. I'm waiting for the New Zealanders to do it and some Australians to really fire up. And you say, well, why? Because this shot is deadly. And this, is, this is real simple, COVID-19 by vaccination status in England, April to May. And I'll get more data for you if you want to see it. The unvaccinated, very few deaths. The vaccinated, very high. Triple vaccinated, very high. What's that saying? The more shots you get. the healthier you do not become. You assume room temperature. No, thought that'd be funnier too. <laughs> this isn't healthy. 
You saw the thing in Georgia where they blew it up. They wanted the, the world to be 500 million total population. We're at 7 billion now. That's going to be a lot of deaths. A lot of dying going on. Look. It's about power and money. And you say, well, you should be teaching just the word. The Bible says whatever things are true, whatever things are pure, whatever things are noble, meditate on these things, whatever. And the idea is that we're to study to show ourselves approved. And we, we are shepherds. And we have to get the sheep to safe pastures. And you don't have to like me. And I do have a gift of preaching a church down to a manageable size. I get it. And, I, and I'm probably an irritant to a number of people. I'm honestly, I'm done with that. And, I, and that's why this so encourages me. Because Jeremiah's like, look, I, they may be too far gone, but I'll do whatever you say, Lord. And he pleads with them. And I have to say, tell you, I love this nation. I love the bride of Christ. I love this church. I love my community. I am angry at what they've done to our children. I'm angry at what they've done to our businesses. I'm angry at what they've done to our health. I'm furious. What they've done to our educational system. And, it's, and, and this is, this is going to get you censored. I don't care. And as I was just lamenting with the Lord and putting it out there, God gave me this piece. I came to the last chapter for the week's readings. And it was last night at four in the morning with a puppy that was pooping everywhere. God said to Jeremiah, therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will bring you back. You shall stand before me. And if you take out the precious from the vial, you shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you, but you must not return to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified bronze wall. And they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grip of the terrible. And I just thought, Lord, you gave Jeremiah. Amen. You gave Jeremiah that promise. And he would later go on in chapter 18, as Jeremiah would intercede for the people and he'd say, look, if I intend evil for a nation and they repent, I'll relent from the evil I intend. There's always hope. Our God is merciful, but he's also just. It's time to dust off the old book. It's time to commit ourselves to truth and stand by it. And you know what that means in your life. You know where you've compromised. I do too. And I just said last night to the Lord, whatever you want, I will not I will not get in the way of truth. I will stand on behalf of truth, no matter what it costs. And that's, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, wicked ways, fear, fear of man, it's a snare. God sets us free. His precepts are good, they're not burdensome. It helps every nation that embraces it. And as I thought about that, and I was thanking the Lord for the encouragement, this is the last part, and I close with this. I was overcome with gratitude. I'm no Jeremiah, not by any stretch. But I know why, no matter how tired I am, I love coming here every Sunday, and why I miss it so much when I'm not here. Because when I step behind this wooden stand, I'm in a room filled with Jeremiah's. 
You're scared, but you're brave. You love truth. You've already counted the cost. We've been through this together. Michelle and I were talking just how blessed we are to have the privilege to pastor this fellowship. And I asked the Lord, help me encourage them. Help me be a blessing to them. Lord, give them everything they need. Let there be an awakening and a revival. This nation conceived in liberty that it wouldn't perish from the face of the earth. God, I'll, I'll intercede. I'm begging you. Whatever you want from me, it's yours. And I couldn't stop thanking him for you guys. You really are such a blessing. This is the most profound place in America as far as I'm concerned. I didn't take time in first and second service to go through all that, but I wanted you to know that. And I want you to know that what God intends for Jeremiah intends for you as well, there's hope. And I have to say this last thing as we began. You were born for this season and you are well equipped and you're lacking nothing and you'll be able to do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Press in. Honor his commandments. Apply his moral law. Stand by the truth. Don't be afraid. If you, if you struggle, like my friend, keep moving. You're just like the Apostle Paul. It's all on the line. And there is a resurrection. And our God is alive. And we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from it. Live in such a way that you believe that. Go all in. Would you, would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. I let Micah go home because I didn't want him to have to sing. I can do a cappella if you'd like. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Lord, we do. We honor you. You are our king. You are our master. You are our Lord. You are our father. You are our savior. Lord, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have given us everything necessary for the time in which you've placed us. And we are no longer afraid for fear of man is a snare. But with the fear of the Lord comes wisdom. God, thank you for these wise men and women. Bless them, encourage them, pour your spirit upon them, use them for your glory. And God, thank you.
for the privilege to be a part of all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you guys.